0: All right, we're going to jump right into it this morning, so we can get in God's Word and get on. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, dial that up, turn that way, whatever it is, but we're going to talk about captive and obedient this morning. Now some of you may feel like you're captive already this morning, but the big question is whether you're obedient. One of the uh, things that happens uh, very much like the disciples in the Bible is they were experiencing something that the rest of the population weren't experiencing, and so they were feeling things and saying things that seemed very different from what everybody else had experienced. And that's what happens when you go and have an experience like we've had. It's it's impossible to explain that to you. you. We can show you pictures. And, and we can tell you, and you can see tears on our face, but until you've gone and experienced what God does through you, you fully can't understand it. And then you think, well, why are why people so freaking out about this? Why are they so emotional? Why? You, we can't explain that. And, and just to clarify so that you guys don't think I'm a total jerk, I, 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 mis- I intentionally didn't tell Sally about the slopes, That was me, even though she didn't say my name. (laughs) Because I wasn't going to add one more thing to a list of why she shouldn't go. And even if she had practiced, there's no way to prepare in long view for ups and downs at 10,000 feet. There's just no way to do it. Unless you hold your breath the whole way, walking everywhere you go. But I'm here to tell you that there's no, there's no reason that we can't do more than we're doing. And again, we don't have to go someplace. We've got plenty of mission field right here. So maybe you can't or don't want to go to a place where the food's different. Great. Stay here and eat at your favorite food place and minister to these great people that need Jesus Christ. Right? All right, let's get into it. Here we go. This is Paul talking to uh, a church at Corinth. And Corinth was one of those problem churches. They, they they, They started up quick, they formed. But what's amazing is that the Corinthian church at that time is very much like the church of today. And and why I say that is that there was an almost equal portion of the old believers, the Jews, that uh, practiced the law and knew what the customs were, and it was all about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, all the do's and the don'ts. And then you had all these new Greek and Roman and what they would call Gentile believers that had none of that. They were just excited to be included, that Grace is for us that our sins can be forgiven. And there was this constant uneasiness where the Jews are saying, you're not doing things right. And then the Gentiles saying, we didn't even know we were supposed to do things right. And them saying, oh no, you've got to get circumcised. And they're saying, whoa, wait, you have to have surgery to follow God? Um, what's going on here? And he's going back and forth and back and forth. But the biggest battle it's never in the church. The biggest battle that you and I are ever going to face is not terrorism, it's not debt, it's not uh, lack of programs, it's not that jerk at work, it's not your spouse, it's not your mother-in-law. Those are not the battles. We're going to see that the real battle for every last one of us, the Cold War that will continue to go on, is right there between your ears. This is the biggest battle space. And no matter where you go, you take it with you. No matter what church you go to, no matter what address you go to, no matter what job you go to, no matter how many times you switch spouses or relationships or schools or jobs or whatever, this goes with you and wherever you go, there you are. And that's the battle that we face and Paul is trying to speak to this and help them understand is, is really, in this context, he's saying, you guys got to stop fighting amongst yourselves. We're not fighting people. And here's what he says. Though we walk in the flesh, we're still alive. We've got this, this flesh, this muscle on our bodies, right? Right? We don't war according to the flesh. We're not going to fight according to the flesh. We're not going to stone people anymore. We're not going to punish people anymore. We're not going to have stocks put out in the city square where we put people in the stockade or hang them from the highest post. That's Old Testament law and punishment. And we're fighting against each other. And that never stops because there will always be retaliation. You killed my brother, I'm going to kill your brother. You hurt my sister, I'm going to hurt your sister. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's right there out of the Old Testament. And he says, you guys have learned that, but we're not going to do it that way anymore. We don't war. We don't fight according to the flesh because people are not our enemies. People are our brothers and sisters. Verse 4. The weapons of our warfare. Stop right there. Some of you act like there's no warfare going on and you're the biggest casualty there are. There is eternal battle still going on for mankind. God has paid with His Son, Jesus Christ, to save everybody that will ever exist. But there is also an enemy, the devil, that is trying to win them to His side. And if you don't think you're in a battle, you are wrong you're just being fooled, or you've already changed sides. Now, I'm not saying that your life has to be constant conflict, there's a big difference. But if you don't understand that there are spiritual battles going on, that there's spiritual stuff in your life, that nobody's picking on you, that you didn't have to get offended, that you didn't have to do this and you didn't have to do that, you've got to understand that you've been saved and set free by Jesus Christ, and you don't have to fight like that anymore. But it's hard, and none of this is easy that I'm talking about this morning. I'm going to break this down real quick, and I'm going to be as fast as I can, so you better buckle up, hang on, and ready to get with it here. But notice what he's saying. We have been given weapons by our Savior, but they're not the type of weapons that we normally do. Everybody knows how sharp your tongue can be. Everybody knows how violent your temper can be. Everybody knows how lame our excuses can be. Everybody knows that we can bondage somebody else by making them feel guilty or not talking to them. We know how to do that, but that's not how we're supposed to fight, he says. And we're not supposed to duke it out. He said they're not carnal. In fact, he says the opposite. Look at that. If you're still fighting carnal, those are not mighty weapons at all. In fact, those are weak weapons. And when you meet a mature spiritual person, you realize that all that stuff falls by the wayside because they see something so much more important, and they've determined, hey, I know who I am in Christ, and you can't put me down. You can say whatever you want. I choose not to get mad. I choose not to get offended. I choose not to retaliate. I'm not going to give you the silent treatment. I'm not going to treat my children like that. I'm not going to kick them out of the house. I'm going to extend grace. That's a great carnal weapon, grace and mercy, and love. But those aren't easy weapons. They're hard to wield. And it takes some practice, and it means that we have to have some strength. And the reality is, if we'll be honest, and I'm just going to shoot straight, we don't have time to play around this morning, the reality is the people that are weak use carnal weapons. I've been guilty of it. You've been guilty of it. When I get hurt, sarcasm comes out. That is not a mighty weapon of God. And no matter how many times I say it, it's not the 13th spiritual gift. It means that something has happened, and I use it as a defense, and it means that I'm weak. When our sharp tongue comes out, it means that we're weak. When we choose to slight our spouse, it means that we're weak. When we choose to treat our children poorly, when we choose to not resolve conflict, when we choose to try to offend somebody, and sometimes, let's be honest, we want to fight somebody. It makes us feel, it makes our flesh feel good. It just means we're weak. And I'm not picking on Sally this morning, but I told her that. She was complaining about her knee and stuff. I said, you know what that means? What? You're only feeling the pain because you're still alive. Dead people don't feel pain. (laughs) But we have mighty weapons. And look what it says. What are these weapons for? First of all, they're mighty in God. He's the source of these, okay? Right? And they're used for what? Okay. Now here's the problem. Most of the time we read this, and we take it out of the personal context. This is for me to pull down somebody else's strongholds, or we get all spiritual. This is about me to go up on the high places, and I climb up on a hill, and I get a bunch of our church people together, and we're going to pull down the strongholds of the city. And I'm all for that. There's a spiritual warfare that has to happen. But if we never make it happen personally, then all that does nothing. Because we're still getting tossed and turned and swept around. People are still believing false doctrine. People are still being disobedient or rebellious to God's Word. And it doesn't matter how many things you pull down from the high places and try to use all these special prayers and read all those books, the five keys to dismantling the devil and all that crazy stuff. If you never take this stuff personal, you fall and prey to the biggest trick in the book, which is making the Bible external. This is about other people. And my job is to pull down Melissa's strongholds. And it's my job to pull down those drunkard strongholds and those sinner strongholds and this and this. It's not our job at all. Our job is to pull down our personal strongholds through the Holy Spirit in us. That's the mighty power of God. That we become mighty and we become strong to pull down our strongholds. And usually why we attack somebody else is because we see the same stronghold in them that we know is in us. And we want to destroy it, but we don't have the courage to destroy it in us. So we try to tear it up in somebody else. And that was what was happening. The Jews were saying, look at all this freedom. How do they have all this freedom? They don't even have to practice any of the laws. They wanted them to suffer. They wanted them to be rule keepers. They wanted them to pose a heavy burden. We had to carry it. Why don't they have to carry it? And Christians and churches have been guilty of that as well, instead of allowing the freedom. But they might be getting away with something. Leave that to God. That's not our problem. If the Holy Spirit doesn't keep it in check, your sharp tongue and your dress code isn't going to keep it in check. But we try. And that's fighting the wrong battle. We are responsible for keeping people out of the church when we do that. We're responsible for keeping people out of the kingdom when we do that. Our job is to bring people into the kingdom. Lost people, hurting people, sick people, sinning people people that don't know what to do, people that don't care what to do. Those are the people we're supposed to be grabbing instead of arguing over this, that doctrine, this. Oh, they don't know what to do. Oh, they wore their hat in the church. Pull up your pants. Why don't you worry about ministering to the inside? Get to the heart. See, all that's the carnal. Do you really think God is obsessed with whether they wear their pants down, or whether they got stuff on their skin, or whether they got piercings, or whether they got a pink mohawk or do they does he care about any of that? No. So he looks past all that to the heart. But therefore, pulling down strongholds. And this is where it gets very specific. Verse 5, casting down arguments. What argument do you use against God when he wants to change your life? Yeah, but you don't know that... You you weren't there when I... Yeah, but you don't know how hard it... Those are all arguments. Right? And we're not talking about spiritual arguments against people that are atheists or... That's, again, that's external. And that takes the focus off of us. The question is, why are you treating the people in your life like that? Well, you know... Look what it says. Casting them down. We pull them down. We don't hold them. Casting something means we push it away from us, right? Casting down that, God, I'm not going to argue with you anymore. I'm not going to argue with your word anymore. I'm not going to argue with the Bible anymore. I'm not going to argue with my pastor anymore. I'm not going to argue with my wife anymore. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm just a welcome mat, and I do, and let anybody... That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, most of the time, why God has a problem working in us, like I said already, it's not the sin issue. We keep throwing up these arguments. Well, you don't understand. You don't get it. You don't know. You don't know. You don't get it. This, this, this. They're all false arguments, and we have to cast them down. Paul had every argument in the book. His life was a mess, and he was used by God. He used to hunt down and kill Christians, and he was used by God. He used to drag women and children away in chains, and he was used by God. He ended up shipwrecked and stoned and naked and almost drowned and fearful and starved and left by his friends, and he was used by God, and he had all kinds of arguments, but he never used them because he knew what it was to be strong in the Lord. But none of this is easy. It takes a a change. Notice what he doesn't stop there. First, we've got to cast down those arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God of who you are, but you've got a better plan. You've got a different plan. Somebody else said this or somebody else said that. You've got to pull those things down. Anything that exalts itself above God is not the thing that we're supposed to have in our life. You can call it sin, whatever broad-based thing you want to call it, but everything that exalts itself above God, even denominations or special teaching. And if this gets to you this morning, it's because you've got an exalted thing. We saw this incredible, beautiful, 800-year-old church. Amazing. Amazing celebrating 800 years. I mean, 500 years before the United States was even anything. And I'm taking this picture of this incredible clay and rock structure and at the very centerpiece of it all, at the place of focus above the door, larger than all the other little statues that were around it of the saints, is the Virgin Mary. And I'm not talking against my Catholic brothers. But let's be honest with this Scripture right here. Anything that exalts itself above the knowledge of Jesus Christ will never lead you to Jesus Christ. Any excuse, any argument, any vain thing that you're chasing, anything, your retirement, your hobbies, your this, my status, my macho attitude, anything that exalts itself above God... It's something that's got to come down, and he's going to do his best to do it. And I pray, you take it down, because if he has to take it down, it usually ends up being public, and it usually ends up being painful. And way too many men of God, way too many women of God, way too many women and men that weren't even called in the ministry, they know this. They know that when they let things get above God... And they don't handle it, it comes crashing down at the worst time, at the worst moment, with the worst group of people. And instead of it being a private pulling down where you took care of it, it became a public pulling down. And I don't want that for you. Every high thing. Notice he doesn't give a list because it's an exhaustible list. Everything that would go above Jesus Christ... Everything as to why you're not reading your Bible. Every reason as to why we don't pray more. Every reason as to why you won't embrace the Holy Spirit. Every reason why we don't do what He says is a high thing that we have to begin to dismantle. And I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm here for us to hear the truth and allow the truth to set you free. Because it's just like raising our kids. If you don't start young, it's too late to start when they're 15 but you want to know the great news? The power of God in you, if you'll start some discipline today, things will begin to change. If you'll start fighting the right battle, things will begin to change. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but things will begin to change. But there's a process, and that's what he's walking us through. Look at what he's saying. We got to start pulling down some strongholds. You start at that outer level, that stuff on the outside that's bugging you, that's exalting it, all those things that got to start coming down. But notice what he says at the back of verse 5. He doesn't put a period there, he puts a comma. He's talking about things that exalt itself. And then he says something powerful. And some of you didn't even know you could do this, but this is God's will for you to bring every thought. Where's your biggest battle? It's not your neighbor. It's not your habit. It's not even your sin. Christ paid for that. It's right here. Either you think too little of your sin and you don't deal with it, or you think too much of your sin and you can't do anything with it. We've got to bring every thought where? Into Captivity. I've got to get a handle on it. And I can handle my thoughts. I can determine how I get angry or how I don't. I can determine if I'm going to get offended or if I'm not. I can even control, I know it's hard to believe, I can even control what comes out of my mouth. I can control the meditations of my heart. But I have to discipline myself to learn to do that. And it doesn't happen overnight. And God gives us many opportunities. Right? You know how many times I've talked with somebody that I've known for years. And they say, well, when you did this, and I tend to now as a, as a more, I'm hoping I'm more mature now. I, I got my first AARP mail last week. I asked them this: You've known me for a long time. Does this sound like how I usually am? Maybe you heard something. Maybe you felt something. Maybe you misunderstood something about what happened in that relationship. Because it doesn't sound like our relationship. Doesn't sound like my nature. Doesn't sound like your nature. Is it possible there was a misunderstanding? But what happens is we don't deal with the misunderstanding, and then it becomes a bitterness, and it becomes an offense, and then it becomes a separation of relationship. And one person didn't even know what was going on. But we've got to bring those things together, and here's what's the hardest part. Instead of thinking we've got to handle it and internalize it, some of you have been taught that. Some of you were taught by your parents you can't have emotions, and you just got to pull them down and push them down and push them down. You'll explode. And you'll be emotionally stunted. What he says is you bring those things, those thoughts captive and obedient to Christ. He doesn't say don't feel. He doesn't say don't get hurt. What he does say is you offer those things to Christ. Those things you say, I can't handle this bam, and we place them at the foot of Jesus Christ for Him to resolve those things, for Him to strengthen us in those things. But the problem is we keep trying to handle it ourselves. Or it's somebody else's issue. Well, if they'll finally apologize. And some of you have been waiting for somebody to apologize for decades, and they're never going to do it. And you've got a choice. You either bring it into the obedience of Jesus Christ, or you're going to be stunted. Stunted. Or you're going to have a place where the devil can always get a grip on you because all he has to do is push that replay button. All he has to do is touch that little spot in your life and remind you of what happened. And you will act differently than you normally act. And this is why he says it is so important. We have to bring it into captivity because the reality is if you don't have something captive, you can't make it obedient if you don't have that dog in your house every all day long, you let him run around the neighborhood, that dog will never be obedient. Just like our thoughts, just like our words, just like our lifestyle, it has to be captive and brought into the obedience of Christ. Not my thoughts and my plans and my ways, I have to make it obedient to Christ. Verse 6, once we've done that, once we feel like we've got a handle on that, now he said, okay, great. Now you're ready to do some real work. Because look at verse 6. Once you've got them captive, you've got to be ready to punish how much disobedience? Okay. So those of you that have ever had animals or children... When you let something slip once, do you realize that you've trained them? How many of you, every third time, it's okay for your dog to pee on the rug? What are you teaching them? Just like most kids, if parents are afraid to to discipline in public, guess where kids act up? In the store, in the restaurant, in the... Well, I don't want them making a scene. Then teach them that they're going to be in trouble in public. We can go to the bathroom. We can go to the store. But you're not throwing a fit right here on the floor. It ain't happening. Well, I don't want to hurt their little psyche. Yes, that they're going to have their psyche hurt when they're in prison. When they learn that they can do what they want, when they want, how they want... Because you're training them. Some of this is for you this morning, parents, and for you, young people. You've got to learn how to discipline yourselves. You've got to learn how to discipline your children and your lives. And it's not easy, but we have to be willing to discipline. And this word doesn't mean beat, it means, really, in the Greek, in the Hebrew, it means retaliate. Every time there's an act, Of undiscipline, it must be met with discipline. Now, we saw this the wrong way, but I want you to understand, because Melissa and I have two different perspectives. Fathers, many of us, we understand correction. We understand, hey, it doesn't hurt that bad. Rub some dirt on it. You're going to be fine. And moms are there to nurture and comfort and kiss their boo-boos. And dads are ready for them. We do they Just grow up and get out. That means I did my job well. I kept them alive, I fed them, and now they're out of the house. I did a good job. Good job, Dad. Thank you. We're in a public square in Antigua, and there's all kinds of street vendors. And it's always hard to tell how old they are, so this little girl was somewhere between 2 and (laughs) 10. Because they're all about this tall. Her mom, her sister, whoever was with her selling goods, and I heard the mom, sister, whoever, say something. I couldn't figure out all that she said, but the little girl was running away from her into the into the park. And the mom didn't just keep yelling, Hey, if you don't come back, if you don't come back, I'm going to count to three. That mom took about two steps, yanked her by her ponytail, and from a distance of about me to Melissa, you heard this across the face. She starts crying, and as she turns her around by her ponytail and marches her back where she's going, she's slapping her hand the whole way back as the child is wailing. Now, is that appropriate discipline? Probably a little overbearing. Melissa is almost in tears. I said, I'll bet you she won't do that again. (laughs) And I feel for her, but I'll bet you she won't do that again. This is what I believe God is trying to tell us as well. We have to self-police. We have the power of the Holy Spirit that is going to convict us on things in our life. But nobody on the outside should be the person that has to make us conform. It should be us. We should be willing to retaliate against undisciplined lives from ourselves. We should be saying to ourselves, I'm better than this. I messed up. I've got to change this and before somebody else tells you. You got to change it? Before it becomes public, before you feel shame, before you get condemned, before the devil uses it against you, how about we get ready to retaliate? We get ready to punish all disobedience. And your disobedience will be fulfilled. Isn't that amazing? It's not easy. It's tough to parent. It's tough to constantly do that. It felt like for us that about the first ten years of our lives, all we did was yell and discipline our children. (laughs) But you know what? My children have never spent a day in jail. They're not hooked on drugs or alcohol. Have they been perfect? Nope. Some of them still aren't too big for spanking. But let's be honest. Do you really need me to show up at your house and and examine your lifestyle? Should I have to? Because I just want to shoot straight with you right here at the end. When you don't do this, you'll end up in my office. You'll be the one sending me the email asking me to step in where it should have been you. You'll be asking me, would you talk to my kids? You'll be asking me, will you please counsel me and my wife? Hey, I I, I don't know what's going on, but would you pray for me? I'm about to get fired from my job. Would you? It should have been you that learned the obedience that was willing to retaliate against your sharp tongue against your stupid behavior against your attitude against your vindictive ways against your lack of discipline and that's what's hard just like I was saying way early this morning we want to find a comfortable place but usually the comfortable place isn't the disciplined place because when our flesh feels at ease it's probably the opposite in our spirit and when our spirit is good our flesh doesn't feel so comfortable You've got to be willing. Instead of expecting somebody else to do it, instead of expecting the church body to do it, instead of expecting the pastor to do it, instead of expecting the counselor to do it, instead of expecting your phone to do it, instead of somebody somewhere, they, them, it's you. You bring yourself into obedience. You know what God's Word is, and if you don't know that, it's your job to know what it says. Well, I don't read good. Teach yourself. Put it on Bible audio. There's no, like I'm saying, we've got to get done with these excuses. All it's doing is giving us the ability to continue to be undisciplined and it's destroying us. Look around at the world. This is not all because of the devil. We have been willing participants of undisciplined life. Whether you want to admit that or not. And maybe that's not the Ooh, good stuff you want to hear this morning. It's exactly what we need to hear. Nobody has to come drag me out of bed and take me to the gym and strap weights to my hand and make me lift them. Are there days I don't want to do it? You bet. But after time, discipline. And some of you because like I said, just starting now Every time something happens You always run to somebody else How about you realize it's your fault And you buck up and you say You know what? I'm not doing this anymore I'm not responding like that anymore I'm not saying that anymore I'm going to discipline this I'm going to self-correct And it doesn't mean we leave God out of it We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that but to think it's on somebody else that's what's leading us astray right now and I've said it before and I'll keep saying it because it's true you keep praying and you keep tithing and you keep coming to church and you keep doing stupid stuff your life will be filled with trauma and tragedy no matter how much you pray no matter how much you tithe no matter how much you attend you don't correct your lifestyle and you won't have a good life That's not the abundant life he wants for you. Disciplined is the abundant life. In control is the abundant life. And for those of you type A, it doesn't mean you control everybody else. That's not the abundant life. You control you. What does Romans 12 say? If you've never read that, read that this week. He said, I beg you, brothers... That you present your body as a living sacrifice. You give yourself to God, right? To know what is holy and acceptable by the renewing of your... Not your body, not your muscles, not your doctrine. Some of you, you got to renew your mind and just accept this this morning, just like me, and say, you know what? I can think of all the negatives... And I can point them out or I can begin to work on them. And I can know what my weaknesses are and begin to deal with it. I can run with those things or I can say I can't do that anymore. And it's not easy. But until you bring those thoughts captive they'll never be obedient. (laughs) Until we get this thing that little three ounces of flesh until we start taming it it'll never be obedient there were several times during our trip that my sister from another mister kept saying are you getting mad said nope I don't get mad anymore she didn't understand that, and maybe some of you don't understand that. It's not because I'm superman, super spiritual, or, or any more holy than anybody else. It's a decision, simple. I stood in line for ninety minutes at TSA in Dallas Fort Worth, and I could have been sitting there and getting madder and madder and madder, and then decide to let the TSA guy have it. I'm going to give him what's for. That would have went well, and ruined my. And this, this. This whole trip could have been about how horrible my flight home was. It's a decision. Those of you that are more passionate, you can choose not to be angry. You can choose not to speak. You can choose not to get upset. It doesn't mean you don't feel it, it just means you choose not to verbalize it. You choose not to act on it. You choose, it's a discipline. Right? And for some of you, it's hard. Again, I've had a very different experience. Coming through the military, where you stand like this for half an hour, you think I wanted to do that? Do you think it was comfortable? They call that at, at, at parade rest. There's no rest about it. But you know what? They punished every time we disobeyed. And you either get with the program or you don't. You either decide I'm going to be one of God's kids and one of his followers or you don't. And the great part is he's got grace because you don't have to be me. You just have to be you. But he's got something more for you than where you've been and what you've been doing and how you've been disobedient. Okay? Well, I lay that out there this morning to tell you hey, the times are coming and they're already ripe for offense everywhere you look, somebody's offended everywhere you look, somebody responds poorly everywhere you look, it's rare to see kindness and grace and mercy, even from Christians, especially Christian on Christian that should change that's a slight against God And it's not hopeless, it just means we have to get disciplined. We have to be willing to take our little attitudes and make them captive. We have to determine to not only do these muscles work to open our mouth, these little masseter muscles work to close our mouth. You don't have to respond. You don't have to respond to Facebook. You don't have to respond to the jerk that tries to goad you. You don't have to. It's a choice. I choose not to get angry. That was my old life. I thought that that was just easy. I could get angry like that. I had a very violent temper. And it didn't just go away at salvation. I realized I had to change. God has helped me by his grace, but it's been my decision to not get angry. You think there haven't been opportunities? You bet. What does God need to do in you? What part of your life, and you know it, you're thinking about it right now, whatever your life that you hope he doesn't make you be obedient in because it would be hard. (laughs) You know it's disobedient. You know it's out there prayer life almost non-existent uh. <laughs> Now reading my word uh. I tend to be poor towards my kids or my wife or my husband or I tend to have a sharp tongue uh. those areas that you're thinking about that's a great place to start now why there's always a why behind the what Romans tells us That he is trying to make us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Did Jesus know how to control his tongue? His actions? His anger? His sorrow? Everything, right? You say, well, he's God. He was also man. He felt pain, he felt rejection. He felt those cutting words. He knew what it was to be betrayed and decided it's not that important. And we can too. He's trying to make us into the image of God. Not perfect Christians, not super holy people, just the image of God. And that's doable for all of us because it starts with us looking at us instead of looking at other people. We're trying to pull other people down. You pull down your strongholds. You cast down your high things. You bring your thoughts and your words captive to the obedience of Christ and stop focusing on the others. You start focusing on you.